So I, this message is about, uh, I, I like this, uh, this title I think is, is, is cool that I think that the Lord, or maybe I thought of it, I don't know if God gave it to me, I thought of it, I don't know, either way it's cool. It says, tell God you trust him without telling him. Tell God you trust him w- without telling him. It's kind of like, you know, it, you know, can you tell me you're rich without telling me you're rich, right? How do you tell God that you trust him without telling him? Because isn't it easy to say, God, I trust you? Can we say that? Hello? You guys with me this morning? I want you to come with me. This is, and I need you to stick with me all the way to the end because this message is going to actually... It might rub you a little bit, I, I, I won't say wrong, but it might rub you in the right way to go, it might rub you wrong to get you right. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That was on the spot too, I like that, yeah. So if you're rubbed wrong, stick with me because might, you might get right. Hello? Yeah. So how do you tell God you trust him without telling him? I've got three scriptural accounts I'm going to um, go over. Three scriptural accounts about giving. Three actual events that God used, Jesus used, to teach us. To help us understand what trusting him actually looks like in our life. There's one good example, one bad example, and one example that is, it's on the bubble. In other words, you get to choose. And I like it. And then there's a passage of scripture that I, I feel needs clarification. So I got four lengthy passages of scripture that we're going to discuss this morning. And at the end, if you stick with me to the very end, I, I guarantee, I, I believe 100% that you'll be enlightened. There'll be, there'll be something that'll move you, that it's going to be, you might see giving altogether different. You might see God's work altogether different. And I know that's like a high bar to set, but I really believe that I think God wants us to clear some things up. I believe it 100% because we've been talking about a reward, rewards that God is a, a looking to reward us, looking to bless us, looking to Actually, what was it last week we talked about? Looking to actually champion us and make us victorious. He's looking to actually move us into a good place in his presence. And that's awesome because I think that's when we see God that way. as though God's not looking to smite us, uh, punish us, uh, rebuke us. He'll have to do those things along the way at times. Hello? But he's looking more for us, he's looking at us as his children, as he's a good father, a good father that's looking to bless his children. That's such a, it seems such a simple concept, but I think sometimes missed so easily, so quickly, because of our own issues, our own hang-ups, our own misinterpretations of God, and misunderstandings of God, and and sometimes even our, our, to be honest with you, sometimes some people have taught some pretty rotten stuff about God throughout the years of uh, the church, and, and, uh, and it's, it's just off. And I, I'm always looking to try to get as close to the truth as possible. And, and I'm a man. I'm a human. 
So I struggle because I got human tendencies and I got human mind things in my brain. You know, that's, that, that messed me up. And, uh, and so, it, it, but I've got the Spirit of God. And if you have Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God inside of you, that he's the Spirit of truth. And, and so that's where we could go and we could trust that the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, is going to give us the truth and nothing but the truth. Amen? I almost felt like I had to say, so help us God, right? But <laughs> So the good, the good example is in, uh, in Mark chapter 12. And it's a, I'm going to break it up. It's in like two different parts. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38. And the New Living Translation. Are these distracting? They are to me. They are to me. There you go. Whoever pays attention, the whole might get an 18-pack <laughs> to take home. I know, you're like, ooh, I'm sitting up and being on a good behavior now. <laughs> Robin's like, did you take out a loan to go buy those? It's like, no. Uh, she didn't say that. Oh, yeah, that, was a, that was a bad deal. That was in my youth as a pastor, or no, I wasn't even a pastor then, I was just a youth pastor, and then I had to speak, and I used an egg to use as, a, as an object lesson, an Easter egg, and I threw it to like, I was, it was hollowed out, and it had confetti in it, it's, I got to just tell the story, if you weren't here, some of you might remember, you might, might have been here, and I threw it up to hit the ceiling, and it was gonna, I thought it was gonna do this neat trick, and confetti, and be all like, and it didn't work that way. I threw it like this, and it went, ricocheted, and went, bam, and hit somebody that was sitting in the back where Linda was sitting. Like, she was like, ah, she never came back. Poor lady. She never came back. That was, yeah. So I, I, I might threaten you to throw stuff, but I promise I will never throw anything ever again. Yeah, that was a really bad deal. Yeah, anyway. Okay, so Mark chapter 12. No, I don't think so. It was, it was just, that's, that was just, I was just a stupid kid. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus, who he also taught, because this was a time that Mark, you know, when Mark is like, bam, 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 bam. What did Jesus do? Read the book of Mark and you'll see all these things that Jesus did. He was always doing something. He was busy. He was on the move. He was on the go. He was teaching. He was healing. He was uh, offending people everywhere he went in Mark. He, was, they, they, he, he rarely stopped except this time he stopped and he taught in the synagogue. And, this was, and then he said, says that he also taught this at the synagogue. He said, beware of these teachers of religious law. So this is in a place where they were actually present. And he's, he's he almost, you could see this is, is like he almost points at them and says, beware of people like that. Um, says, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly, shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. And because of this, they will be more severely punished. You know, this, 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 that, that last little uh, uh, phrase that he's... It wasn't something that he was saying this is, 
a, a figurative thing that they do. He said they actually do this. They go into widows' homes and they make these long, pious prayers and then they manipulate them to give them and help them and to, to actually uh, uh, give to them so that because of their long, pious prayers and their spirituality and their, their presence, now you should bless us with an inheritance that your husband just left you. You should, that's how they, that's how they worked. They were manipulators. And that's what he's talking about. He said, beware of them. Beware of them. And the way that he says it is beware of these teachers. He said, be careful who you listen to. Be careful how you listen to them. And it's a word that we use in a, in a lot of our teaching and understanding is be careful who you hang with. Because who you hang with is who you're going to become like. Right? Isn't that what we tell our kids growing up? Yeah. I mean, we didn't need to learn that because we were smart and everything. And we knew. But we need to tell our teenagers that, you know, if you hang with dumb people, you're going to be dumb. Maybe that's not what we say, but it's maybe what ought to be heard. Anyway, but let's, uh, so here's what he's, that's what he's saying. Be careful who you hang with, because if you hang out with them, you'll become like them. In other words, you'll be drawn to this, this concept of wanting to impress others and please people by doing things that seem to be spiritual and religious that make you look like you are super Christian or right with God. Be careful of doing the things that make you appear to be right with God. Appear to be, not actually be. Does that make sense? Because this is a lot of places where Jesus is talking like this, and he says, you know, do the things, do your good deeds, do the things in private who your father will see them. They'll, he'll notice. He'll notice. And he'll reward you. He'll reward you. But if you're looking for a reward that is from Others, people, your peers, that's what you'll get. They'll acknowledge you as being somebody great, somebody fantastic. Wow, isn't that a good person? But that's all you get. That's what the Bible tells us. Is there's basically one reward for every good deed. Not exactly, but if you're doing it for that, that purpose, that's your full reward. That's what Jesus teaches so he says, beware of that. And then, he's, and then this would happen just right immediately after this. So he's teaching this because this is, um, I'm going to continue on in the same passage. Then Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. Wow. That's amazing. Because even as you think of that, first of all, I got two things that are going on in my in my mind, one, first of all, Jesus sees this, acknowledges it. First, he knows it. He knows it. He knows where we're at. He knows our plight. He knows our situations. He knows our circumstances. He sees it. It doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and it doesn't go un. 
how do I say it? It, it, it doesn't go without him paying attention and actually doing something about it. Because here's what's, what's really cool. And, and, and then, then well, well, first let me hit this, the thing that, that this widow did. is She gave out of her, out of her need, right? She, she gave out of having nothing left to give. I mean, I mean it, it was so, but it was so tiny, so puny, so, so minimal. It was such a small amount. It li- literally was, was uh, I, think that, I think it was calculated like over, like almost like a penny or less than a penny. In other words, she couldn't even break it into a tenth. She couldn't even break it into a tenth. It was that small. It was the smallest coin that you could possibly give. And, and it wasn't just, you know, she could have easily done this. Because she had two of them, two of the smallest coins that were actually made, and she could have just given one, right? And, but no, she gave both of them. Now, what compelled her heart to do such a thing? And then, and then you might think, well, what, what, what was she thinking? How was she going to survive? Because she knew, and this is what we don't, under, we don't see it in here, because this is the only, well, it, it, this is the, the account of this, that her, her account of this is, or, or this account is like, we don't get anything else other than that, but that Jesus noticed it, he acknowledged it, and used it to teach it. But I guarantee this, and this is what I guarantee, because I know my God, and I know Jesus, and I know that this is how he operates. That woman did not go without the rest of her life. She did not go without. I guarantee it. I guarantee it because I, we know that's what God is like. And he acknowledged this, that she had enough every single day. Every single day. Whether it was a jar of oil, it didn't run out. Whether it was uh, wheat that, to make bread, it didn't run out. God was her provider. She knew it. She knew it. And she knew it. She knew that she was, this is what she was doing. She was telling God, I trust you without saying a word. That's good. So this is the good example of what it's like to give to God. Now, he's not condemning giving out of our surplus. He's not. He didn't do that. He didn't condemn those who had a lot and gave a little according to what they had, because that's what he says. He says they gave out of their, they gave a small amount out of their large surplus. That's not a bad thing. But to take it to this level of actually telling God you trust him without telling him, when we're in a place of not having anything or not having barely enough to make it, are we still going to tell him we trust him? Isn't that a place of like, that's starting to rub, like, ooh, that's, that's getting in there. Because we got to ask ourselves that question, right? We do, we have to ask ourselves that question. It's like the question I, or the, the super religious phrase I used one time. This, I'm serious, I said this to God. If you guys will... Bear, bear with me for a second. You can laugh at me too. I didn't even say it yet. You're already laughing at me. That's all right. <laughs> um, 
you know, I told God, I said, God, you know, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life, no matter what. And I meant it. I believe it. I meant it. I really did mean it with everything in me. I, like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, I'm going to, every, whatever it takes, I'm serving you. And um, <laughs> this is, I don't know if it's a shallow thing or it's just a thing that I just said or just like, you know, even if somebody were to hand me a million dollars or if I won a hundred million dollars in a lottery, I would still serve you the same capacity I'm serving you now. Even more so, if that's what it takes. If that would open up an opportunity to serve you more, then so be it. And I think God laughed at me just like that. Like, because it wasn't but about a year later that the ministry was really, really struggling. Really struggling financially. I don't know if we, I mean, we were ready to shut the doors and hang it up and say, well, we can't do this anymore. We don't know what to do. Um, it was a good month of no paychecks. And, and that was like, and, and God said, he reminded me of that little cute little phrase that I made. Say, so, you want to reword that? And I looked, I, I kind of listened, and I was like, oh, I get it. And he said, now reword that. I said, God, even if I don't get a penny, I will still serve you at the capacity you've called me to serve you. And he said, okay, that's a, lo- that's a little more like it. And that was where God challenged my own heart to say, you know, you do this for only one reason and one reason only. And if you do it for any other reason, you're doing it for an off reason. And it was a good, it was a good move on God's part, if you will, and a good move on my heart to say, I trust you. I'll tell you I trust you without telling you I trust you. And whether paycheck or not, it didn't matter. And that's, that's where God's got me still at that place. So it doesn't... There's something about this. I want to stick with this. Stick with me. So I'm going to talk about the bad example that I want to use. I was leery about going here with this one, but I felt like I needed to because it's, it's right in the uh, vein, right in the area of where we're talking about. But, um, and I asked the Holy Spirit, and he said, yeah, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be mentioned. It's got to be brought up because it's one that, that um, is in Scripture. It's in uh, Acts chapter 5, and if you know Scripture, you'll know what it's about. It's about Ananias and Sapphira. Two of Jesus' followers who committed their lives to Jesus and were following the teachings of Jesus. And now we're, now we're a part of the church, the church startup that just had been planted um, after, more than likely after Peter's preaching. And they, they were um, two married people, Ananias and Sapphira, well, this, this, uh, this chapter starts with the word but. So if the chapter starts with the word but, what do you got to do? You got to find out what that but's talking about, right? Hello? Yeah. Come on, that was a little funny, wasn't it? Gosh, I skipped the dad jokes and you guys are... Forget it. Dad jokes are coming every week from here on out. The but is this, is, is the church was growing, the church was growing immensely, and what was happening in the church, this is the church that had just started, and um, you know, Jesus was ra- ri- had risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit had been given, the Holy Spirit was moving, and the church was spreading and growing and moving, and people were coming and joining, 
And they, what was happening is they were actually selling their property and giving it all to the church because they wanted to help out as many people as possible. The, they, they believed in this thing called the church making an impact in community and society and actually helping those in need. And that's what they believed in. And anybody, and it says that nobody without anything. They, in other words, everybody's needs were taken care of because of this move, this act that was taking place where people that had were selling what they had and giving it so that everybody had enough. And it, and it talks about one man in particular who gave, sold a piece of property and gave the whole profit, everything he made to the church, gave it all. He even says his name. His name was Joseph. Um, they call him Barnabas, and this was a good man. And everybody acknowledged, like, wow, what a neat thing this guy did. Well, Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, I want that kind of recognition. And that's exactly where this comes from. They wanted that recognition that Jesus warned us about. Don't do these things to be seen by others. Don't be like those teachers who go and manipulate to try to and make themselves this presentable thing that they really are not. They did exactly what Jesus warned them not to do. And they sold a piece of property that they had. That, well, I'll read it. But there was a certain man named Ananias, Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He bought part of the... Wait, he brought, sorry, oh, part of the money. To, yeah, all right. Just throw them on. Whoa. Yeah, because this is a lengthy passage. That's why, that's why I got to put my glasses on, yeah. It's not because my eyes are failing. <sighs> yes. So he brought part of the money. Part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So they partnered up in this. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not, wasn't it? As you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying. What was the thing that they did? We already said it. I already gave you hints on it. What it was is they, they portrayed, they, they, made a, they made a depiction. They, they actually lied to them and said, here's everything that we had. Wow. And it wasn't everything. And, and that Peter basically calls him on it right off the bat. It, you, you didn't have to even say that. But why did you say that? Because you wanted, to, you wanted people to see you as something you're not. You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Like, boom, dropped dead. That's crazy. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. And then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. It's almost like, what? what, what? I don't know if that's more surprising. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm thinking of like a mob scene or something like that. Here comes a cleanup crew. Like, what is this all about? I'm sure there had to be some direction like, well, I mean, this is just odd, isn't it? 
Isn't this odd? Yeah. I, I mean, does it make you feel like I, I'm going to sit here quietly and just mind my own business? Like, we don't have sheets back here keeping like where we're going to. Anyway, let's not do that. Let's not go there. We do have some young men that I might just say, well, clean them up. <clears throat> and then some young, they got wrapped in a sheet, they took him out and they buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, Sapphira, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. You know, here's something that, that we, we need to take note too, is he gave her complete opportunity to be honest she didn't have to suffer the same fate as her husband. She could have easily said, I, no, I, I'm, it's not. You know, she could have allowed, what could she have allowed to have happened there? Just really quick. Repent is one word, but she could have allowed this one thing that could have taken place. She could have allowed the Holy Spirit's voice to be louder than her own greed and her own ambition to be known as somebody. Because the Holy Spirit's voice was very loud in her. I know the Holy Spirit was telling her, no. No, no, that's wrong, that's a lie, right? Have you heard the Holy Spirit do that to you? Yes, we do it. Now what we do is we, we, we choose to muffle the Holy Spirit and just choose to go forward with our deception or delusion or wrong choices. And the Holy Spirit's voice will get quieter the more you go forward in your own direction. Hello? Yeah. That was from the Holy Spirit too. That's not in my notes. So let's, so here's what happens then. Was this a price? And she said, yes, that was a price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. In other words, they just got through burying her husband. They came back in and were like, oh, I guess we have another. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard, and everyone else who heard what had happened. So this didn't just stay within their doors. This was recognized, it was noticed as and I think what was noticed is this, if we could say this, and I'll say it, and I think because I don't believe that anything like this has ever happened since in history or in the church, right? Where's Blake? Okay. He'll say yes. He'll agree with me. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Um, so this was a one-time incident. This was a, a kind of a, this thing that happened, but, but it, it gets our attention, does it not? It gets our attention to where we're saying, wow, God really does, it does matter to God, not just what we give, but how we give from the right heart, the right motive of our heart. It does matter to God. Hello? Because I believe that, and as we've been talking about this, this, uh, this concept of, of God being a rewarder and looking to reward us, he's looking to reward us great, gratefully, like with, with a lot, more than we can handle. And I think what stops us sometimes is what we go after the wrong thing. We go after it with a wrong motive. 
And, we, and we, we, we could easily fall into a trap that's just like Ananias and Sapphira's. We could easily fall into it. And it may be a little less um, more so in a church like this where we're just really, we're just down to earth, you know, nitty gritty kind of people, right? You know, in other words, we're a little less concerned about how we appear to each other in this church. Can I say that? Does that offend you? I'm sorry if it does. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Blake, Blake being our um, CFO here, gets it a lot, and I get it a lot too, where people want to um, make an appearance of being spiritual by, you know, if I've, I've had people like call me up and say, hey, I got something, that I, you know, we, we really want to do this, and we, we just want to, um, it's something really neat, and we, you know, and it's, it, and it's just to present a, a check that's, I'm not going to say it's minimal, but it's not a whole lot, but it's a big deal, and they want to make it a big deal, and want me to make it a big deal about them making it a big deal. Oh, I, I, get, I get sneaky ones, like literally. No, I'm not no, joking. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I've had politicians do that to me. To me, I, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a me. I'm not really anybody. And they come in and they say, hey, we want to give you this check. And they're handing me, and there's people taking pictures. And I'm like, oh, crap, who are you people? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> but one of them was a sneaky one. It was a Democratic club. Like, oh, that was a sneaky, you sneaky little, you sneaky snakes. you like, oh. I was like, oh. And, and, I, and I just like, oh, Lord, I, sometimes I... Honestly, I'm not as quick-witted as Jesus, so I don't like say these things that are like, wow, off the hook. I just, oh, thank you, and oh, please don't post that on social media, yeah. So I know that this, like, it, it, it's an easy thing to maybe try to, that you can remove yourself from and say, well, that's not us, that's not me, but where we're going to go with this is to get into the, to the, I mean, if we really have a desire, an umption in us that says, I, I, there's something inside of me, and it's the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's my drive to stand before God on a day that I know I'm going to stand before him, because every single one of us will stand before God. And the thing I want to hear most and it is, well done, good and faithful servant. That, that ought to drive us to look, what, look at anything in my life, anything that would keep me from doing anything and everything well done. I mean, that, so, so you, you know, Noel was singing that song, and he, he wasn't even a part of the words. That maybe it was, but, you know, God is looking into my heart. And I just was like just sitting there just basking in that place of like, God, you're looking into my heart. You're looking into my heart. And, and I know, and, and I think I had this conversation in the midst of that worship time, and I, I know there might be some things in there that don't belong. So may your love and may your mercy do the, the surgery that needs to take place 
Remove the stuff that doesn't belong and fill me with the stuff that's supposed to be there as you look into my heart. And so this is a lot of what we're doing here today. This is like, like I said, this is the last of the message of, of us looking to be rewarded appropriately and rightly. And I think this is such a big deal because I think we get this twisted about giving. Um, we twist it up and we twist it up. And, we, and a lot of us, honestly, I don't know about you, but I've heard, I've heard, a, lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of people give with wrong reasons and, and um, you know I've heard people say they hand me a tithe check and say this ought to help the church I'm like oh that's such a wrong reason okay how do I because it's not about that God doesn't need your money can I say that because it's true I can say that so he's looking for something that's different than your money. And we're going to hit that at the end, I promise. It's going to be such a good, I believe, enlightening thing. What's that? Oh, oh, that, that's, the, that's what's making that funny noise. <laughs> Thought somebody was hungry and their tummy was over there just going like, man. So let me read this passage of scripture, and this is the you choo- this is a you choose passage. This is a great this is a great little story that Jesus in Mark chapter ten, starting in verse seventeen of the New Living Translation. How you guys doing, by the way? Okay, good, good, good. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, "Good teacher, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life?" Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And there's still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and it went, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, again, this is a situation, circumstance, circumstantial situation that Jesus uses to teach and to show us how we can understand what just took place. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Real quick, I'm going to just give you just a quick understanding of what the eye of the needle is, and I think the, I think most of us know this, but um, if you don't, uh, then um, the eye of the needle that Jesus is referring to is not a lot of a sewing needle. It's a it's a it's a, a man gate that's that it was left unlocked when the big city gate was shut at night. That was surrounding walls around the city that anybody could enter. During the day when there was watchmen that were watching who was coming in and who was going out 
Well, when the gate was closed, the eye of the needle is a small man gate about yay high where a small Jewish man can fit through. And that's it. Now, if this rich man, this wealthy man had a camel that was carrying all of his possessions, was walking through and wanted to get inside the city, what he had to do is he had to, had to take all his possessions off the camel's back, all of his, everything he owned and throw it off to the side, leave it outside. For robbers and, you know, um, people to just have, it, have at it because he couldn't bring it in. And the camel had to crawl through on his knees like this through the eye of the needle. Now they could get him to do that, but it was difficult. Do you see how difficult he's talking about? Not only did you have to remove your possessions, but you had to get your camel to obey you and get on its knees and walk through this if you wanted to keep your camel. Hello? That's why he says it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Because that rich man is having to give up everything even in, and, and humble himself and get through to get in. Right? So that's, why, that's, that's what it takes. It takes the wealthy to give up their wealthiness to get in. In other words, and I'll say it just point blankly, they can't make money their God. If you make money your God, then the kingdom of God does not reign in your heart. Cannot, you cannot serve both who? God and mammon, which is man's way of providing money. You guys get it? Amen. Okay. So he says this. Uh, the disciples were astounded. And then, then who in the world can be saved? They asked. We always assume that's Peter because it probably was. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God, for everything is possible with God. That's where we get that phrase. Everything is possible with God. Jesus said it. And then Peter began to speak up. So that's why I think we think that Peter is a part of this conversation. And this is Peter. says, but we've given up everything to follow you. <laughs> it's almost as though when you watch The Chosen, you can see Peter saying that. I haven't seen that scene yet. Has that scene taken place yet? Okay, I don't think so. Because it's an interesting scene. I'm sure it will at some point or another. Because Peter said, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? That's what he's asking. What's, gonna, what's in it for us? And Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news, the gospel, the kingdom, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with eh, persecution. <laughs> and, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem to be least important now will be the greatest then. So this is a you choose moment. This man was faced with it. This wealthy man and it broke Jesus' heart. You could, you, could, you could sense it because he not only did, he just didn't leave it alone. He used it to teach. Like, that was hard for me to watch happen. 
Migramos hear it in his voice, even though we don't hear the tone of his voice, but you could hear it in his voice that this man chose this stuff that's just going to be here for a moment, a vapor, a flash over all eternity, over, over a life that is full. And, and what he would have given up, he would have attained and gained a hundred times more. That's even like, wow, what? that's what, actually what Jesus said. I love this. I love this, and I've seen this in my very own life. My very own life. What I gave up at that moment when Jesus called me to serve him and give my life to him, honestly, was a few friends, a peers as a high school student that I was popular with, and, and, and he said, it's going to cost you your popularity and your friends. And I and I, I, I wrestled with it for literally like a few seconds, and that's about it, because the God, the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus revealed to me how great he was and how that choice was way better. And, 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 and I think and now, now I'm like, what, what I gave up was so puny to what I've gained here, here. Friends, brothers and sisters. And I don't have 100 houses, but I guarantee I could walk into your house and you'd treat me as, I'm one, as I live there. Hello? So, in a sense, I do have 100 houses. Because I could camp out in your front yard and you'd probably let me. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Backyard, okay. <laughs> maybe not the front, yes. Yeah. City might come knocking on the door. Yeah, yeah. So, you see what I'm saying is like what we, what we think we're holding on to is puny compared to what God wants to pour into us and God wants to bless us with. Amen? Amen. So, so, so let's move on because this is, this is where it gets really, really good. I wanted to get through all that just to get to this. And it's the clear up verse, the passage in Malachi chapter 3. A verse that, and it's one that's quoted often, I think, I think but, but I think not understood as often as it's quoted. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. This is God speaking through the prophet, and he's having this conversation, but he's having this interesting conversation, like a third-party conversation that the third party really isn't there. He's actually answering for the third party, which is the people. And it says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your offerings or contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, let me, let me, let me go over one, uh, a couple things. Um, 
First of all, he says, put me to the test. Because he's basically saying, you're robbing me of the tithes and offerings. And you could test me in this. He says, if you'll, just, if you'll just obey me and trust me, tell me you trust me without telling me. In other words. What's he say? He say, what will happen if you actually put me to the test? Now, I want to I want to play a little advocate here for a second. Because what he didn't say is, you know, okay, here's what I I think I'm playing this picture in my mind as I as I try to misconstrue this intentionally. I'm letting you know. You know, if you are going to steal against God, okay, that would be a bad idea altogether. For one, because God's God and God knows. Hello? But what would be the the uh, punishment for stealing against God, stealing from God. Hello? What do we get when we steal in our society? We get in trouble. We can go to jail, depending on the, the value or the amount that we steal, right? I mean, I remember I stole a piece of candy when I was a kid, and my mom made me go give it back. And that was embarrassing, that was a punishment enough, though. It didn't really stop me because I think, I, I think about a month later, I stole $5 out of her purse and went and bought candy. <laughs> that was better, I guess. No. I got a beaten, a whipping with a belt. And I laughed at her because she was my mom, and it was like, yeah, she couldn't really beat me that hard. <sighs> She couldn't hit me any harder, so it just made her matter. That was as hard as she could hit me, and it just made me laugh even more. Anyway, it, uh, yeah, and that was before my stepdad came into the picture, and then it didn't go. My beatings were a little bit more, uh, they made an impact. Uh, anyway, no, what I'm saying is this, is you know, did you notice that God didn't deal with that issue in that passage? He didn't deal with the punishment. Oh, he didn't deal with, with what would happen if you stole from him. Right? No, listen. It's, it's important because what he's really getting to is something that is really important about God. You stole from me. You're stealing from me. And what's your punishment? A curse. What's the opposite of a curse? A blessing. So what are we robbing God from? Blessing us. That's what he's getting to. This whole point of this is not about you, about him being concerned about his money. Hello? It's his heart of God, the heart of God, the Father of God, looking to bless you, and you're robbing him of that. You're robbing him of that opportunity to bless you as a child because you want to hold 10%. Think about it that way. Think about it that way because that's actually the way it's conveyed. Well, that's true. That's true. But it's still, we could say that, and I, I, I've, I've said that, but that doesn't compel me to say, well, yeah, he owns it all, but it's, I worked for it, so it's mine now. I could go there. In other words, I, I know what you're saying, and, that, and I agree with that. 
That's not wrong, but what's going to compel us to actually tell God I trust him without telling him? I think we can, we can figure this out. I think we're going to get there. One thing I want, so I got some questions. Is God actually saying that tithing is a test? Is God actually saying in that passage that tithing is a test? God knows himself. He knows what he's capable of. He knows what he wants to do, and he knows what his will is. We're the ones that are struggling with this, right? Hello? God isn't in the struggle bus. That's us. So let's get out of the struggle bus and get in the trust bus. It's a test of where my heart's treasure lies. Is it not? It's going to get good, promise. So let's break it down. And if anybody wants to interject, that's great. But I want to, uh, uh, the word tithe simply means a tenth, correct? Uh, ten is symbolic of testing throughout Scripture. It actually is. So, so we're going to go to school for just a minute. And, and I promise we'll be done after a little bit. So answer out loud the question that I ask. Everybody, I want us to answer out loud. It's the, the easy answers, okay? These are easy answers. <clears throat> How many plagues did God inflict Egypt with? Ten. Good, good, right, you're correct. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? What? Ten. Okay. So we're getting it, right? You kind of can see a little bit of a pattern here. <clears throat> How many commandments are there? Oh, okay. See, see, we get it. Now, are the commandments a test of our hearts? Commitment to him? Obedience to him? You can see it, you can see it right? How many times did God test Israel while they wandered in the wilderness? You're right. Ten. Okay, there's a real pattern here. This is really difficult, but I think we're going to get to it by the end. Right? How many times were Jacob's wages changed? Ten times Jacob's wages got changed, and he still kept working for his crooked Uncle Laban. Right? Or uncle-in-law. Right? Still, he was continuously tested. How many days was Daniel tested? Ten. Okay. Wow. This is really good. You guys are really clever. Okay. This one. This one's gonna be. Uh, this one's gonna be. I'm gonna have to give you a hint on this one. There's five foolish and five wise. Wise ones. How many virgins were tested? You're right. Okay. How many days of tribulation in Revelation 2:10 would he say that the church of Smyrna would be tested? Actually, 10. You're right. How many dis disciples were there? Oh, come on, guys. Okay, that was a trick. That was a trick. The question is this, though. The question is this, and I'm going to ask this to, to be, I want us to get like, so we see this as 10 is part of a testing. 
And this is what a tithe means, right? A tenth. So doesn't it just make a lot of logical sense that when we are telling God we trust him with a tenth, it's the test on our hearts. That's all it is. It's a simple test. Say, yes, I trust you. So what is the test? What is the test? And this is a trick one because I, 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 I just gave you an answer that's not the answer. Because <laughs> this is what the Holy Spirit gave me, and I want us to hear this really loud and clear. Loud and clear. What is the test for us? I know this. I said it throughout the, the message, but it's a, and it's a, a, I believe it's really, really good because I want us to hear this as God's children. The test is this. Can you handle my blessings? Can you handle my blessings? That's the test. Because listen to this. Listen to this. If I'm greedily keeping 100% of everything I make, I own, it's mine, I made it, I earned it, where is God going to pour into you if that takes up your whole heart? Hello? You have to, you have to, Throw it out there and God, let God fill it. You have to let go of it all and let God take the place that money takes. So the more, this, more of this that takes the place in my heart, the least of what he can pour into it. How do I say it? I got to say it right. More, the more of that which takes place in, that takes the place of our heart is money in, is less amount for God to pour into us. So, as I become this thing, you know, how many of you have given to somebody, helped somebody do something, and the first thought that you think is, oh man, that was 20 bucks that I could have used this way or that way, or, or now I don't have that. No, I'm serious. I've thought that. Just this morning, just this morning, I was tested on this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm literally went, I dropped Robin off at, here, and I saw somebody, a friend, I'm not going to mention his name, he was over, and I, I could tell he was in distress, so I drove around, and, and um, he was out of gas. Oh, man, how can I help you? It's like, well, I don't have a gas can. I don't have any money. And like, here, well, let me go find a gas can, and I'll give you some money to put gas in it so you can get back on the road. And I had a moment of a thought. It's like, well, that, there went that 20 bucks. I could have, man, I kind of needed that for some. And then God convicted me and said, do you see what just happened there? I was testing your heart because if you think it's about you blessing somebody or giving to somebody and you, you doing with them, I said, you're missing it. You're missing it. And I said, oh. I said, what it really is is I gave you an opportunity to bless somebody so I could pour more into you. Hello? Come on, brothers and sisters, I better put this back in. Or wait, where's the eggs? Just, just kidding. 
Let me read one last passage, and I promise I'm done. Man, I've, I was going, I've been going on for a while now, and you guys have been sticking to it, so that's good. Oh, oh thank you, brother. Luke chapter 6, what did what, you say? Oh, you can have the eggs. The eggs are yours. These are yours, by the way. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I don't, I don't want to take eggs home. Anyway. He says this, give, listen to this, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, running over, pouring into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. So listen, this is not a guarantee of getting rich. In other words, we don't give to, we don't give more to get more. We get more to give more. Hello? Just reword a couple of words and it's right. It's right in our heart. We don't give more to get more. We get more to give more. Hello? And that is a storing up a treasure in heaven from our heart. And it's a promise, a promise that God will provide more than enough for you here and now. So how do you tell God you trust him without telling him? You be a giver and a cheerful giver and from a, a giver from the right perspective, the right attitude of your heart. Give because God has given to you. Now listen, one last thing. If your worship team will come up because this is good. And it's a, it's a question that I just need to raise. Can you trust God to take care of you? Really, it's, it's a, like, can I trust him to take care of me? Well, let me break it down like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if God so loved the world that he gave up his son so that you could have life, don't you think, doesn't it make sense, isn't it a logical conclusion that he will give you enough to get by in this world? Hello? If he gave you his son to have eternal life, don't you think he'll give you enough to get by? Hello? The answer is yes. 100% yes. For God so loved that he gave. So it's almost like we just need to turn that around and, and apply it to our life. For God so loved that he gave to me. For God so loved that he gave to me. For I so love that I give. And if we do it from there, the reward will peak above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love for us that is fatherly in such a dynamic, awesome way that's above and beyond what even our fatherly experiences here on earth are. And that we are thankful for, that you show us, you reveal to us. You uncover the truths of your word. You uncover your heart towards us. And you let us see you, how much you love us and care for us. And you just simply ask us to trust you. Trust you with the simple things. The dollars in our pocket, the money in our bank account. Lord, and, and I'm going to ask that you would even give us opportunities give us opportunities for our hearts to be revealed 
I know that's asking a lot, but I'm asking you to do that in us and through us. Not so you can expose the darkness and the bad stuff, but so that we can clean up the stuff that isn't supposed to be there and implant and infuse your spirit and your heart into us that we become like you. We become like you and we become givers, givers of love, givers of compassion and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Jesus' name by your spirit. Continue to grow us, move us, move us into a deeper commitment and trust and faith in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.